listening to The Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. Heroes of the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy, Part 1.2 David Tingley Welcome to my ongoing series within a series, telling the stories of people who were important in the history of my academy. Last time, I told you about the early days of my friendship and training relationship with David Tingley, with an extra focus on his fortuitous intervention into a very dark period in my life and martial arts journey. I established that Dave's intervention may well have prevented my academy from dying before it was ever born. Today, we'll pick up the story after I had re-established my private martial arts instruction business in my mother's garage. The problem with using this garage is that it wasn't heated, and I had not accumulated anywhere near enough cash to alter that fact. When I resumed teaching, I still had five or six months before it would be a problem. This was enough time that my clientele grew during the interim to a point where, with about a month to go, I was staring the problem in the face. David Tingley once more rode in on a figurative white horse with a generous solution. He had made a space in his own basement appropriate for training in the martial arts as both he and I practiced them in the late 1970s. Dave had always had the potential to eventually become an instructor, and he had, by this point, reached a level of competence sufficient to begin teaching. He had taken on some students and was training them in his nascent basement studio. In any case, he offered to allow me and my students to use his basement for our training as well. This was no small sacrifice on his part. In those days, I taught my students privately, one-on-one, or in groups of two or three. That fills up a schedule pretty fast. I had amassed a student body sizable enough by that point that I was teaching morning, afternoon, and evening classes six days a week. Upon accepting Dave's offer, I tried hard to make sure that my students understood that we were in someone else's house and that common courtesy when it came to issues like loud noise or not parking their cars in inconvenient places were important considerations. Despite all that, I know that allowing me such unrestricted time in his home was no small thing, and when looked at over time was a much greater contribution to the future of my academy than the intervention I told you about in the last episode. Now Dave and I did not limit our basement studio activities to teaching. We trained together, a lot. We were training partners and kindred spirits. We were martial arts hippies. We really shared a similar sense of martial culture. Much of the thought behind what has become the Rising Phoenix martial arts brand evolved over the decades from a germ in the mind of a young martial arts hippie. One part of that was my determination to create a culture in my academy in which toxic, meathead, macho behavior was minimized, and preferably absent. 
To me, this abusive way of behaving was that of the natural enemy of the martial artist. The bully. Now, I had been forced to endure the presence of bullies for much of my young life. I would be damned if I was going to add to macho martial culture by producing martial arts bullies through my teaching. But at the same time, I liked to train hard and realistically. It was a pleasure to occupy a generously provided workspace with a fellow ambitious but laid-back martial traveler like David Tingley. One aspect of Dave's personality that could lead to stressful situations was that he would let anyone into his house to hang out. One day, after a hard training session, Dave and I were relaxing in his living room along with another gentleman, a stranger to me, who had dropped by. As frequent listeners to this podcast know, I am powerfully interested in a wide variety of subjects. And as a result of this, I know that I talk a lot and that I can come off as a know-it-all. Now, I don't remember what the subject of conversation was, but the stranger somehow took offense at something I said or at the fact that I might have been monopolizing the conversation. Well, I guess you think you know everything about everything, he sneered assertively. Now, I have edited out the three F-bombs which this sentence included. I was a much younger man in those days with a much shorter fuse on my temper. Dave could immediately see my face darken with anger and my posture grow aggressive. Wait, he interrupted. Dave grinned disarmingly and continued. We like Jeff's brain. We enjoy climbing up on top of it and looking around. Now this moment of comic absurdity made me bark with laughter, completely diffusing my anger. I glanced at the other fellow and saw that he was shaking his head and rolling his eyes at Dave's silliness. Whatever hostile interaction was about to ensue had been nipped in the bud. Now this story nicely illustrates Dave's distinctive ability to creatively and compassionately solve problems. Another occasion in Dave's living room found us hanging out again after a workout one evening on the occasion of an intense blizzard, once again with another person present. In this case, he was a friend, who was teasing Dave and I about being martial artists. He issued us a challenge. Okay, if you guys are so tough, let's see you do your kung fu barefoot out in the snow. That drew a laugh. But our friend persisted. Now what's in this challenge for us, I asked. The banter continued until we finally arrived at a bet. Rather than doing Kung Fu, Dave and I were to run barefoot to the nearest convenience store, which was about half a mile away, where we would purchase our friend a quart of Kraft pineapple orange juice to serve as proof and run back with it. The bet was $5 to each of us. We were still wearing our Kung Fu uniforms from the workout and still barefoot as well. I tucked a $5 bill into the sash around my waist, and we set off into the nearly blinding snowstorm. Not far from Dave's house, we passed some kids building a snowman. One of them helpfully pointed out, Hey, you guys aren't wearing any shoes. Dave and I, obviously getting the same idea at the same time, stopped and looked at each other. Oh my God, I shouted in feigned astonishment. 
Dave picked up on my cue and shouted with equally feigned surprise, We aren't wearing any shoes. We resumed our run, and Dave affected a mincing gait, as if each footstep was painful. I picked up on his cue, saying, Ow, once per step. Ow, 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 until we were out of earshot. We reached the convenience store with somewhat numb feet, but otherwise without further incident. Fortunately for us, and for this story, these were the days before the policy of no shirt, no shoes, no service. We entered the store, quickly secured the bottle of juice, and stood in line for the cashier, grinning like idiots with water dripping from our clothes, hair, and beards, which now sported little miniature icicles. As we waited, a gentleman entered the store, saw the long line of waiting customers, and began to loudly and rudely complain that he absolutely had to have cigarettes, but didn't have time to wait. It was evident from his erratic behavior and slurred speech that he was under the influence of some sort of intoxicating substance. He glared in turn at each person who was standing in line, until he got to Dave and me. Now, I'm not sure if it was the kung fu uniforms, the bare feet, Dave's imposing physical presence, or the fact that we weren't avoiding eye contact like the rest of the people, but something about us really seemed to get his attention and even alarm him. His eyes widened as he took a step backwards while putting his right hand in his coat pocket. Now that got our attention. I shifted my weight over the balls of my feet, relaxed my shoulders, and continued to watch him. Dave did likewise. When this malefactor pulled his hand out of his pocket, a shiny metal object dropped to the linoleum floor, ending its descent with a loud clang. That clang had been made by, I shit you not, a pair of brass knuckles. Well, that certainly sent an unambiguous message. Dave and I continued to watch this fellow as he slowly bent over with his eyes on us, picked up the weapon, and then stuck it back in his pocket while hurrying out of the door muttering in embarrassment. Dave and I looked at each other and busted out laughing. How humiliating for the guy. After we had paid for the juice, we stepped outside where Mr. Brass Knuckles was nowhere to be seen. We repeated our blizzard run without further incident back to Dave's house, where we each collected our winnings from our friend, who insisted that we were both crazy. As each of our careers evolved, mine as a martial arts instructor and Dave as a carpenter and contractor, we saw less of each other through the years. About 15 years ago, I got a phone call in the middle of the night. My benefactor, my training partner, my buddy, David Tingley, had died suddenly from a massive and unexpected heart attack. I attended his funeral and attempted, poorly, to share with those attending how I felt about him. I hope this little belated two-part podcast does a better job. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think 
and check out old episodes of the Martial Brain Podcast at my website, rpmartialarts.com. I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The Martial Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy. If you like the podcast and would like to help it grow, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about the Martial Brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com.